No mai harumai ki tēnei i pāho, Circuit Cast, the podcast dedicated to artists' moving image. Ko Thomason Slay tēnei. The advent of the pandemic has seen a rush of material going online, as galleries and film festivals seek to retain their audiences. While this has created opportunities for artists, all sculptural conditions for the moving image have now been flattened by the browser and computer speakers. In this new social space, we watch work from our home, where there has never been more to see, and we speak about the work just as we all are now via Zoom. So as the pandemic continues into its second year, how do we feel about these new conditions for exhibition and for viewing, and what are the challenges that they represent for artists? To dig into these and a few other questions, I'm joined today by three fantastic artists. Gavin Hipkins, who's in Tamaki Makoro. Kia and kia ora to Yona Lee, who I believe is also in Tamaki. Kia ora. And Amy Harden Chapman, who is joining us from her evening in Vermont. Kia ora. Nā mihi nui ki katoa. Yona, I wondered if we might begin with you today. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Givet Brewster's Digital Artist and Residence Program. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about what attracted you to this residency and what it was like. So just going back to last year, Elam, the lectures all shifted to online and I was invited to do a workshop on SketchUp. And then that sort of led me to learn Blender for the first time. My sculpture practice always had the lineage to uh, digital drawing as a part of the working process and realizing the sculptural installations, but they were never used as its own work in itself. So I was learning this new program and then the online residency came up and I decided to apply for it. And, you know, I've never done like moving image work before and I wanted to kind of work with the restriction and the limitations that I've been only allowed to exhibit online. I found when I was researching the work that you produced, Yona, a really nice essay by curator Robert Leonard, who had a nice description of the work. In Lee's video, her animated pipes are superimposed onto tourist snaps she took around the world, in museums, hotels, terminals, the street and the subway. They navigate their way through these scenes, riffing on their existing pipe fixtures. Lee sneaks more pipes into the Pompidou Centre's facade. Handrails proliferate in a subway carriage, leaving nowhere to stand, and an illuminated barber's pole sprouts up next to a conventional street map. And this was quite a big shift to you. So you said, Yona, that you hadn't worked in moving image before. Could you talk a little bit about how you thought about the online space, you know, as a sculptor who's worked in physical space so much? It was sort of challenging in terms of learning all these programs and the technical element of it. But it was quite interesting how by working on the proposition, it still gave me like excitement as if it was actually happening. It's sort of like, it reminds me of when I had Busan Biennale installation last year during COVID. And at the time, Korea was doing really well and they sort of talked about, oh, this is happening, this is happening. But then the case numbers increased towards the opening date and then everything sort of opened online. And so they had this kind of VR documentation of the work they sort of went online and sort of it's sort of like by spending months on the ground sort of making the work installing and then right after that you just see this documentation of the work just on screen so there's something about that absence of the screen but also a similar level of excitement kind of coexist in the digital work Gavin, I wondered if we could bring you in here a little bit. 
I was thinking of it the past five years or so, you've experienced a lot of success in producing your work and showing it in international film festivals. You've shown in Sao Paulo, in Stuttgart, Paris and Oberhausen and in New York. And now I imagine that you're still showing your work, but you're participating in kind of Zoom discussions with interviewers overseas um, at 1am, maybe not at very happy times for a New Zealander. And I just wondered how that's kind of playing out for you. Yeah, kia ora, Thompson. Uh, so last year was a busy year, and I think much of that was because the films that I had produced in 2019 were on a circuit of sorts. And those films, there were two or three of them, or the source material was from international venues, so there may have been some degree of resonance there for international audiences. So to, to some extent, this year is, uh, for me, uh, slower. You certainly, at uh, the beginning of this year and Last year, it was marked by those sorts of events that you were talking to. So hybrid festivals during moments when festivals could deliver in theatre, online festivals exclusively, and also postponed or cancelled festivals. So I've got a screening coming up in Switzerland. They push that back because of the drive and the desire to have that in theatre with real audiences. So to, to some extent, this year is, uh, for me, uh, slower which I think is also indicative that my production during the lockdown year last year um, kind of really stalled. I mean, I think one of the challenges for artists is to keep momentum going when energy levels are low. What that has meant for me is turning more to the neighbourhood, to local locations, and even to the living room, which is my backdrop at the moment. So starting to travel through other means, through images, through other forms while staying home. You mentioned the sort of model of the hybrid film festival and actually read a quite interesting article on Hyperallergic last week by the journalist Grace Hahn. And she kind of unpacked this idea of the hybrid film festival and kind of asked some questions about it. What happens when everyone is watching the same film but some are not in the crowd? And what happens when we lose our sense of time, of our community, and most importantly, of our shared space together, instead of heralding virtual platforms as a mode of access to the film festival, we should acknowledge that they are access only to the films. Wondered if you had any thoughts about this. The social space is really important, and it's that degree of complete immersion that the theatre enables. And, you know, there's some very fundamental kind of considerations there is that when we enter a cinema and when we enter a a programme, it's a statement to walk out of a programme midway through or or partway through. So there's some degree of commitment. Whereas, obviously, with online screenings, uh, we can go and get a cup of tea or we can fast forward through the program if it's been delayed and live streamed, etc. We can you know, go turn to our phone, etc., etc. So it's a far more distracted viewing space. It's a far less immersive space. So I have a, a nostalgia for that immersivity. I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, to return to festivals when, uh, when possible. Amy, I wonder if we could turn to you a little bit. Obviously, the pandemic has been very brutal in New York and very different to the way it played out in Aotearoa. So your experience of making art and being in that place and working through that time will be different to artists here. But I wonder, during this time, have you been digging into the online space at all? Yeah, interesting questions. I was struck by Eunice referring to the pandemic in the past tense and I wish that was the case here. It's just going on and on. And although we did have a reprieve, 
I feel like it's coming back in some senses in full force. So I think we are increasingly going to have to live a life that it's hybrid, if you will, um, mm. you know, creative lives and exhibition lives. Earlier on in the pandemic for me, I was scheduled to give a performance of a work that I'd first presented at Enjoy. Have you ever felt overwhelmed, which takes a series of interviews that are done with people involved in the climate movement, activists, journalists, physicists, and some policymakers, and it took words from all of them and kind of recombined them in a chorus and the idea of the performances that we think about how these big issues of climate change, how they affect people working in the climate space on a personal level, a daily level, um, how when we feel overwhelmed by climate change, we can kind of learn to push through it and take action. So I'd performed this once in New Zealand and I was ready to perform it in New York and that was at the beginning of the pandemic and it had to shift to Zoom very rapidly and as Yona was saying I found myself really thinking about the performance as a moving image work in a sense. Suddenly I was thinking about using the background as a screen, using the green screen feature on Zoom, which was new to all of us at the time, um, how to differentiate between performers and audience members when everyone was on a flat plane, and how to create a sense of community as well, which is a really tricky component of it. In relation to that hyperallergic piece I mentioned previously, the writer was saying she felt to replicate the social experience of encountering people at an actual film festival, we needed digital platforms to be able to facilitate chance encounters. It is very hard to replicate serendipity online. And I wondered if that might be something that marks this point in time as well, that those digital experiences haven't quite been created yet. Amy, I also wanted to ask, So your work for many years obviously has dealt with climate change and signalled a kind of warning about the ecological futures of the globe. Do you think that the art world travels too much? (laughs) I think we do as a community. We're flippant about climate change. Like many other communities, I don't think we're going to solve climate change by having less biennials. I think we're going to solve it with broader government policy, but I think we all have to play our part, if you will. One thing that has been amazing about this shift is the ability to function in many different countries and time zones simultaneously. So I see it both going to conferences on climate change issues. You can now do that without traveling, right? Or uh, with that first performance of have you ever felt overwhelmed? I was going to do the performance in New York. I'd I'd invited a whole lot of folks in New York. And then suddenly I thought, well, you know, I have a friend who's a performer in Los Angeles. Why don't I get her to do one of the roles? And I was like, why don't I invite the original people who performed it at Enjoy? You know, and then I suddenly think about what time zones all lined up so you can have multiple audiences all at once in different time zones. So there is a lot of possibility, I think, As you say, it's hard to have these kind of off-the-cuff encounters with people. I think if there's existing relationship and you can kind of bring those relationships online, it's very hard to build new relationships, I would say. That's the thing I've noticed. And I think that's what, you know, we miss. Hopefully we'll learn that we can pivot very quickly as a society. I suppose that's the takeaway from the pandemic, that what we think is has to be the status quo 
doesn't necessarily have to be and you know travel communication the way we work transportation those things can actually change incredibly fast if there's if there's an urgency and we should feel that same urgency about the climate crisis as we do about the pandemic. Yona, I was just going to ask you, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you have two residencies lined up overseas, one in Paris at the Cité Internationale des Arts and one in the Netherlands. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about residencies, have they changed because of the pandemic and what sort of work you'll be undertaking there? Initially, the plan was to be in Paris from February this year, undertake the residency, and then and then straight after that, connect to um, the residency in Maastricht, the Jan van Eyck. But obviously, it's been uh, postponed again and again and again. And now they're uh, scheduled to start next year. And now the dates are doubled. So I may have to choose one over another. And I sort of like, I just sort of stopped planning things now. And because I'll, I'll just see how things unfold. And if I can make it, then it's great. If not, I'll just do something else. So I think the pandemic sort of like taught me to be quite flexible. It's been really difficult to, to work on projects in particular not knowing that it's happening. So I think that's been really difficult. And so I sort of like stopped planning. It's been really helpful. Do you anticipate making more work like propositions online, Yona? Or do you feel like this is a kind of new sort of trajectory for your work or something that was specific to the Givet Brewster's invitation? I think I'll sort of like leave it open, but that was quite specific for the Gabba Brewster online residency and in reverse that sort of way of working sort of helped my sculptural practice as well. Like the proposition was utilizing the travel photos I've taken in the past Mm. and kind of responding to those. And I think it will be quite different to sort of work on something digital work knowing what I want to do. So that was like within very like restrictions and I was at home and I know there's not much materials around. So I think it'd be quite different if I had to work on another digital work, but I think I'll leave it. I think I'll leave it open Mm. and see what happens. Gavin, in relation to travel, I wondered what your thoughts were about the need for artists to travel internationally and how that sped into your practice and supported your work and what it might look like going forward. Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation and obviously Amy's points to a degree of privilege in relationship to the, the ability to travel or, or not travel at the moment. I guess that, you know, we're all still working our way through these new situations and I think the, the other privilege that Amy pointed out was, of course, how lucky we, we have been in Aotearoa, uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, relatively speaking, of course, there's degrees of fatigue, I, I think, and uh, teaching one becomes slightly more aware in relationship to how the residual fatigue can affect younger people, especially uh, our students and their well-being in relationship to degrees of resilience. Turning back to the question of travel and uh, in my own practice, um, like Iona, plans are on hold. But like I say before, 
there's kind of a repositioning in relationship to ideas of mobilities for me and, and travel. And that kind of degree of flannery has been a reoccurring part of my practice, whether it be traveling away from home or and trying to take home with oneself when one travels or traveling while at home, not just through imagination or uh, et cetera, but rather, like I say, through material uh, references, books, uh, records, and, and other products that function as portals to travel and uh, travel writing. So in short, I think the pandemic has kind of helped me realize my position in relationship to those modes of travels, those various modes of travels, which are not necessarily literal literal modes. So I am working on two short films, which seem to be taking forever at the moment and will probably be dated 2022. One of them is entitled Night Walks, and that really is a, a series of walks at night through neighbourhoods, especially through winter. And the second one is called Love as Ever, which is a kind of autobiographical, fictional imagining of a young self-writing home from somewhere else, more than likely from a European destination to their parents. So the, the gender is not ascribed as such. So the, the kind of the uh, reflection or shift that's taken place for me has been one of uh, considering uh, slightly anach- anachronistic forms of travel writing and modes of writing, including f- formats, which are on this kind of cusp of uh, becoming redundant. So formats, including the postcard and and letter, and in a way, uh, as a response to digital fatigue or even Zoom fatigue. And then also part of that is uh, a searching out of materiality through these products and and turning back to analog technologies, including uh, Super 8 uh, film and 16 millimeter film. Yeah, that's really interesting, this thinking through ideas of attention and fatigue and the different ways in which we will kind of adapt to the technologies that are presented to us. I certainly think at the beginning of the pandemic, I yeah was very fatigued after spending a lot of time working on Zoom because you obviously struggle to pick up the social cues that would pick up with people in person. I think you're sort of doing a little bit of mental extra work there. But I don't know, Amy, you would have obviously been communicating with family from afar for a long time, whether um, you've sort of felt like you've adapted to these online spaces over the course of the pandemic and feel a little bit more comfortable with them or less fatigued now. I should stop talking about it in the past tense, I (laughs) realise. Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest place where I was really thinking about it was teaching so this coming semester I'll be doing hybrid some weeks online some weeks in person I asked my students about it and they there's things they love about it obviously they you know they like can get home at a, at a better time they commute this some of my students have families so it was better for them in that way but they all said they missed being in person I tried to create those spaces of serendipity through a few things a few ways some would be just letting us talk about not the content of the artwork they were making necessarily but I would ask people what they ate for dinner or you know like what movies they watched that week or that kind of thing and have kind of a space for chit chat which is something you miss out on in zoom Mm -hmm. going back to something you said Gavin which I kind of jogged a thought in my mind or it struck me that artists were uniquely prepared for the pandemic in a weird way because we 
are so used to being in weird spaces and thinking creatively about what to do with them if that's temporal spaces or physical spaces like I found that friends or colleagues you know who are used to going to an office every day suddenly when they were stuck at home in a room with their family or their partner they're like oh my god how am I going to survive and I was like oh so we're stuck in this strange room for you know the next three months um sounds like a residency being in a, a new or a, having to use the same space in a different way that's a studio practice or a, that's a, a creative practice and I think artists are just very good at using three months or six months or 16 months stuck in a place or um, confined or to make something or imagine a new way or there's always reading as you say Gavin there's like always these imaginative acts that we can do when we're stuck somewhere. One last thing I'll say is that I did find my art students were making work in a completely different way and using zoom in creative ways or giving presentations and then like just dumping a video in the middle of it in a way that they would have never done if they were giving that presentation in a live classroom space so I'm like almost a digital native and almost too old but I think the way I think about the space of the screen or the internet or the online space is different for younger generations and it's more intuitive for them in a way and as you say it'll be written about for decades to come. I wondered you have you experienced any great online spaces for watching moving image work or other art online exhibitions that have taken your fancy or been of particular interest to you? Lately I was sort of really interested in getting online on like Whitney Museum website with the Sunrise Sunset project. So they sort of commissioned artists to take over their website just for about 30 seconds or like a minute every day uh, during sunset and sunrise. And it was quite interesting to, to see how artists sort of like respond to these online spaces in a sort of temporary way. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. There was actually a really great article in New York Times about video artists and streaming video online during the pandemic. And Hito still made the comment that her work had always kind of been available online, but she described it as being only accessible kind of in the dark web. But essentially, I think she just meant off off YouTube, off platforms, and the kind of most well-known platforms for watching video. And she sort of talked a little bit about the ethics of some of those spaces and the permissions that they request from artists. And I wondered if any of you, just kind of an open question, had any thoughts about, yeah, the kind of ethics of digital spaces and whether that's something you had considered in presenting your work online. I'll say say something. As an artist who works across performance and video as well as other mediums, I've found old performances of mine captured online and like still circulating on YouTube and they become a video work in effect. Sometimes it's happened with my permission, sometimes it's happened without my permission. I suppose I could be more proactive about it and be like, take down that performance from 12 years ago. That's, you know, not how I remember it or that's not how I want people to experience. But it is this weird uh, liminal space where as a performance artist you want your work to be experienced in a certain way you often think about documenting it in a certain way but that often requires multiple cameras a different sound setup and you then are making a video work and that's quite different from some random person's video 
that then lives on forever in this certain way. So yeah, when performance turns into moving image work is like a very blurry line and an interesting line, I think. Yeah, and it seems like you were sort of exploring the tension between those two spaces with, what was the work called? Have you ever felt overwhelmed as well? That sort of slippage from in-person performance event to the moving image. And yeah, it's interesting that kind of Zoom offered that opportunity kind of investigate that gap a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we that's the other thing that it's so easy to record conversations. I was like, oh, I suppose we should record this. Why not? You know, but um, is it is it the documentation that you actually want is the always the question I suppose. Gavin or Yona did you have any other thoughts on that? There's always been an element of giving up control with the web etc and perhaps the current environment just really exacerbates that uh, situation or enables other opportunities Mm. which are beyond artists controls. Yeah at the next Pod. This is going to be a little bit of a, a series. So we're just going to do two podcasts about the pandemic and the moving image. And in the second podcast, I'm going to hopefully talk to a sort of panel of curators and arts professionals about their experience of working in institutions during the pandemic and how that's prompted different ways of uh, working with artists and different ways of presenting work and different ways of engaging with audiences as well. And I sort of thought to to kind of connect our corridor today with the next one. If you all had any thoughts about what art institutions could do to support you going forward, if there was one thing or two things that you could think of that you would ask curators to think about going forward, what would they be? Well, I'll start. I mean, for me, I'm really interested in how works are interpreted, a degree of kind of analysis that takes place and especially perhaps historic works also. So I think locally and nationally and internationally, we have more work to do with archives of artists' work. As writers and curators and thinkers and and analysts, we have work to do, which is linking early themes and moving image works to current topics, et cetera, and and also offering um, perspectives. Uh, And those perspectives may differ from the artist's intentions. So I, I really welcome space of interpretation with with uh, artist works because there's a lot of works out there, and there's mm-hmm. some great works out there that I often feel are neglected and should have more showings or reappraisals and and be celebrated in an ongoing way. So that would be my request. Yeah, great. There's, I mean, I think the digital space offers, yeah, as you say, so much opportunity to present archives and all the kind of various media that it, that is involved in really interesting ways. You know, Amy, did you have any thoughts? I think also due to pandemic and the restrictions on international travel, which means that there will be more limitations of bringing international artists here in New Zealand and work here in New Zealand. So I think there definitely like a pressure or like a focus and like a local supporting local artists and giving a new commissions to local artists and I think that's really great mm-hmm. and um, so I don't I don't think I'll have any questions but I think um, but how do we manage that really well like if we sort of like focus on the local how do we connect our conversation overseas yeah absolutely I think um, you know 
Aotearoa's success in many ways with dealing with the pandemic and having a kind of relatively sort of normalised society while the rest of the world has been hugely affected has created a very particular sort of environment here. And as you say, those connections, how we build those connections is kind of different from other places, I think, at the moment. I would say, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, a core part of my work is thinking through the climate crisis. And with Abby Kinane, I run the distance plan, which is always getting artists and arts institutions and curators to think about how climate change can be at the forefront of all the work we do. And I think there's a really unique role that moving image work can play in that it can be let's say, depending on how it's produced, it can be carbon light. You know, it is amazing how single moving image work can be seen again and again in different places. Even in the old days, I was always amazed at how video works of mine could be played at different places, have different audiences over over different years and mean mean different things in different contexts. Like obviously all artwork can be exhibited again and again, but I think there's a lightness to the way that moving image work can be um, shown in different contexts. And I think when we are thinking about people not being able to move so easily across national boundaries, it's exciting to think about the ways that certain types of artwork can be a stand-in for that kind of movement in a way. And I encourage curators and all arts makers to think about the carbon footprint of things, if you will, how artwork is getting to them. And if artists are coming to them, you know, even within New Zealand, uh, arts institutions paying for train rides, are they paying for plane rides? It doesn't also always have to be a downer too like it can generate exciting conditions artists love constraints I would say we thrive on them and so the pandemic is a constraint but natural resources are another constraint that we often don't think enough about yeah thank you Amy yeah I think that's a really great and important place to end the corridor today I think we've had a really great discussion and thank you so much for all of your thoughts for your fakaro Kati aki i Let's leave it here there for now. Na mihi to you, Gavin, uh, Yona, and to Amy for giving your precious time today and for joining me to discuss these issues. Please keep an ear out for the next episode of CircuitCast, where I'll chat with a panel of curators about how galleries and other arts institutions have presented the moving image during the pandemic. Hey kona mai, i na mihi.